Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. encourage you to grab your notes. We're going to dive into a new series this morning. I am so pumped about this. We're just calling it the best year yet. And uh, what we're doing is we're really focusing on the natural momentum of the new year to help us focus on our walk with Christ. Isn't it sort of interesting that all of us, when it comes to a new year, there is this surge of momentum and energy around some new things. Can I see a show of hands? That, what, what is that that we feel? Because if you think about this, and I don't want to, you know, obviously we're going to, I'm going to preach around this narrative, and so I don't want to completely erase it in the room. But when you think about it, it's kind of interesting, kind of unique, isn't it? Because there's nothing really different in many ways, from one day to the next, from the 31st of December to the 1st of January, it's only sort of like an analog calendar switchover, and yet we all feel this momentum to do new stuff. What is it about that? It's kind of interesting. Am I the only one who thinks that? Apparently so. But I, I was thinking about this, and we all get all fired up and all piked up about you know new things. I was literally, I caught myself in December. Many of y'all know uh, my uh, our older daughter Haley and her husband Brandon uh, came uh, come home every December. They're with us. In fact, today today is their second anniversary. They're right over here. There they are. Great. I've only seen them fight once. It's awesome. So things are really happening. It's great. But uh, at any rate, I was in the kitchen with my son-in-law, Brandon, uh, last week, and we were talking about working out, and I caught myself talking about working out. I had a cookie in one hand, (laughs) and I was asking Beth where the caramel corn was while we're having this conversation. And I thought, this is awkward and weird, and I don't know what it is about that, but we're all wanting to improve ourselves, to be fitter, to be younger, to be better, in better physical shape, physically, financially, emotionally, in every way. It's like the dead of winter, in some ways, brings the renewed hope of a new year. Isn't that crazy? And so in some ways, what we want to do in this series is I want to focus all on, on that in some ways, but I want to talk to you about some stuff that really is going on inside of us. And so what we want to offer to you in this series is what I'm really hoping and that you will find that it's something that you can't get somewhere else. We want to have that conversation. But I would like to say, if you are wanting a new workout routine that involves caramel corn and cookies, I'm your go-to guy. And you can talk to me after the service about that. But I I was thinking through this because um, there is some stuff, I believe, that is going on within us that is sort of we're wired for it. In other words, uh, more than just there being an analog calendar shift day from one day calendar year to the next, and that that is all the other, the momentum really that brings us to a space like this. Here's kind of my, my, my idea around this series. I think it's deeper than that. And I think all of us are hardwired in many ways with this deep, desire, this uh, desire that is God-given toward new and better ideals. 
And I really believe it's something that God plants deep within us. I remember a story I, I read years ago uh, about a dad who had, you know, a young kid. He was trying to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon. Must have been a preacher, you know. And, uh, and, and he was, you know, and his little son kept interrupting him. And, and, and finally, he came up with this idea. And in the newspaper that he had been reading, there was this picture of the globe. It was like the planet Earth, you know, from space. And he took the, took the picture and he, he just ripped it up in a bunch of different pieces and he gave it back to his little boy and he said, you know what, here's the thing. He goes, dad's gonna rest for a little while. Here's a puzzle. Why don't you put the puzzle together? And he thought this will give me some time. Well, about like a hot second later, his son was pulling on a shirt and said, hey, I got it done. And, 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 the, and the dad said to him, he said, I don't know how you figured this out. I mean, you don't, know, you don't know where the oceans go. You don't know the continents. You don't know all this. And the son said, no, I don't. But he said, what's interesting, he said, if you turn the paper over, there's a big heart. And he said, I just put the heart together and the world turned out fine. Now, here's what I want to tell you. I think that's striking and itching at what I'm trying to give at. The Bible says it this way. Solomon said this, God has placed eternity in the human heart. You, you and I, I mean, you know, newsflash, right? We, we did not come here to stay. We are passing through. Now, I hope that's not news to anybody, but the mortality rate's at 100%, right? <laughs> We're not going to be here forever. And the Bible says that God has wired eternity uh, into our heart. And um, I think that when we are aspiring to better versions of ourselves, this is a God-given thing. And so really the, the momentum that I want to tap on is this momentum. What, what if right now the, the itch you feel to improve your life in some ways, to have some conversations with yourself about some stuff that maybe you need to have a conversation with, what if, what if that's not you? What if it's the Lord and how do we grow and how do we learn and how do we see that? I, one of my favorite verses of all time is a verse that uh, Paul the Apostle penned. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, I want you to look at this real quick because it sets up where I want to take us in our series. He writes this, he says, For we are God's handiwork. Isn't that great? We are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And if you look at the word handiwork, that's kind of a unique word to translate out of the original Greek text. In some translations, even uh, the word is po poem, poema, and the word could be translated in, in some ways, we're God's masterpiece. You've been created for a kind of destiny, for a kind of thing. I, I was thinking about this because this is the idea that comes to my mind when I think about this verse. This verse reminds us that we are not our handiwork. Our life is not actually, at the end of the day, our project. I mean, feel the relief around that? We're not our project. We are, our life is God's project. God has thought you up, and he knows what you are intended to become, and he has created a way for you to become who you're intended to become. And even the good works he's prepared for us to do are not the kind of to-do list we give to our spouses or to our employees. They are, in fact, as one author says, the signposts to our true selves. 
I remember seeing a picture a while ago uh, of, uh, I think this place is in Florence, Italy. It's called the Academy, uh, Academia Gallery in Florence, Italy. And it shows some of Michelangelo's uh, statues. And there are a set of four statues uh, there. I'm going to show you one, and the, and the picture doesn't really do it justice. It's the statue called the Awakening Slave. And here's what I love about this statue. It's, it's as almost though you can see this. Michelangelo didn't, he didn't complete it. And what you notice here, it's almost like this, this statue, this man, this figure is being, is trying to break himself free from the enslavement of the stone around him. You see him just coming out of that. And when you, and when you learn how Michelangelo often did sculptures, he always did them, which was rare for, uh, those who, who, uh, did this kind of art is that he would always chisel them from the front to the back. A lot of times his work is actually done from the back to the front. And so it reveals this doing it from the front to the back. It's almost exactly in real time. That's what makes us so talented and so beautiful. It's like he's trying to break free. And here's the thing I think in, in this season, in this time of the year, all of us, I believe with all my heart, are seeking to break free from something. Someone say amen to that. Amen. It's just true. And so, uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I want to make sure everybody knows I am, you know, working on some of my own physical well-being and all these things too. But I have also decided that I want to work on some other things. And so I can think of no better passage to help us get into this idea than some words that the apostle Peter uh, wrote in the second letter uh, uh, that bears his name in the New Testament. And it's a perfect sort of roadmap. We would almost want to use Peter in some ways as a trail guide to help us through a conversation that I want us to have. And so if, you, if you're taking notes, I want to read to you the first 11 verses that come uh, out of Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And these are just wonderful. And this, this is the roadmap of, of the conversations I want to invite us into as we begin a new year. I am so pumped about this. So Second Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Here's, here's what it says. It says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. And he goes on, grace and peace uh, be yours in abundance through our knowledge of God and of uh, Jesus our Lord. And he says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and his own goodness. And through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate, look at that, in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. For this very reason, he writes, make every effort, take every opportunity. Don't miss your moment, Peter is saying, to add to your faith these things, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, uh, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, it is these qualities, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus. But whoever doesn't have them, 
is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort. There he says it again. Make every effort. Take every opportunity. Do whatever you can to confirm this, your calling and your election. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. And you'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. Let's pray. You know, God, would you, would you now give us, O oh God, of your spirit in this place? Would you breathe over this auditorium? Would you breathe over those who are watching, streaming from wherever they may be right now? And give us, O oh God, the clarity of mind and the openness of heart to hear your word. And to recognize, O oh God, that in this space, your word is unto us, Lord. It is life and breath. So God, what we need in this space really is to be able to set for just a few moments everything else aside and for us to lean in with all that we have so that we might take hold of this faith that Peter calls precious. This we pray in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, I love, uh, it, it's no surprise to many of you who've hung around here at all, I love the Apostle Peter. And uh, the Apostle Peter, for me, without exception, he's the most relatable of all the disciples. And I think he's relatable because um, if you are reading, and so many of us are, are reading right now the New Testament, are reading the Gospel of Luke. So many of us in our church are doing that. We in, uh, encourage you to jump in on that. And uh, it's interesting that today, I think the, the reading is Luke chapter 5. And in Luke chapter 5, interestingly, is the very first time we learn of Peter. We're introduced to him for the very first time. I, I was thinking about this this week. That I don't, I, don't, I don't know that that is a coincidence. I wonder if there's something going on in that. And the first time we learn about Peter, it's, it's in this moment where Jesus uh, comes to him on the beach. He's introduced, uh, Peter's introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew. Andrew was always the, the inter introducer. If you notice, uh, every time Andrew's mentioned in the New Testament uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he's introducing somebody to the Lord. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on there. And he introduces Peter to the Lord. Peter had been out fishing all night. He's this burly you know, dude, loves to fish. He'd fit very well in Loxahatchee. This is who Peter is. And, uh, and so here comes Jesus. Here comes this religious man. And uh, Peter's fished all night. He's caught nothing, got skunked. And you remember the story, and Jesus said, I want you to, hey, why don't you push back out, you know, uh, sun's in full blaze. Why don't you push back out, throw your nets out onto the other side, see what happens. And for anybody who knows how to fish, right away, that's an indicator. You don't know what you're talking about. And so Peter, you know, you can almost feel that undertone, that undercurrent, and, 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 but he says, okay, because you've said it, I'll do it. And immediately he catches more fish he's ever caught in his entire life. And the very next response out of his mouth it, are these words, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And what I love about this text, what I love about this narrative, honestly, I get emotional about it, is that Jesus, in one of the ways he's remembered in the New Testament, it says of Jesus that he was a friend of sinners. Doesn't that make you feel like, oh, we'd be friends? Right? Some of you guys would be really good friends. <laughs> Great friends. And... Uh, I just think I, there's something very powerful about that. That's our first introduction to Peter. And now we, now we get to, to 2 Peter. 
And here's what I would tell you about this. So Peter, Peter knows he's about to die. He can sense it. And I've been a pastor a long time. I've met with people who say, you know, I feel like, I feel like my time is coming. And, and I've, I've tried to learn as a pastor over the years when people say that to me to listen to those whispers as a pastor because often they're right. And so Peter is really near the end of his life, and um, you know he's a guy that we can relate to. He had foot and mouth disease. You ever put your foot in your mouth? Uh, he's the same guy that told the Lord on the Passover, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, before the night's out, you'll do it three times. He's the guy that went into the, into the garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, got filled with anger when the soldiers came to take him. He cut off Malchus's ear. Jesus healed Malchus's ear immediately on the spot and said, you know, let's, this kingdom is not going to happen by force. This is Peter. He's this great disciple. We can relate to him. And so in so many ways, he's the perfect trail guide to help us. He doesn't write as a salesman. He writes as a customer, one who's done it. And he helps us explore the possibilities of what can happen to our faith if we just all take, listen to me, the next right step. One of the things I hate sometimes about uh, public church ministry is that I hate whenever it feels formulaic. And we all just can come in, it feels like the same thing, we're all just doing the same thing, and we all just get in the line and just follow each other. Jesus' spirit's never that way. And I, I think when, when God is saying very powerful things to us, oftentimes they're, they're, they're individualistic. They're, they're, there are these general words that he want, wants to say by his spirit, but every now and again, the, the language, the New Testament uses language like this, there's a rhema word. There's a word that is unique and specific for you. And I believe that for many of us in this room, God is wanting to say something specific to us in this season about this new year. And the challenge for us is really, I think, to come before him and say, Lord, I want to tune my life. I want to tune my ears. I want to tune my spirit so that every other voice can go down. Your voice can go up and I can hear your rhema, one-time specific word to me in this season. And I believe with all my heart, this is really what he's wanting to do. And I think Peter is a great, oppor- uh, a great uh, person to help us walk through this. And over the next several weeks, what I want to do is explore uh, more deeply as a congregation each of these different things he mentions. But this morning, what I want to do in our series is I want to set some boundary markers for us. And I want to put a tent stake uh, in this side and tent stake in this side. And I want to map out a path and say, here's the path. And I think there's a path for us that we need to understand that happens right here in verses 3 and 4. And that's really what I want us to, to focus on in verses 3 and 4. And I want to lift up a few things uh, to you real quickly before we have communion. And the first thing I want to say is simply this. Peter talks a lot about God's promises. And here's what we need to know about God's promises. They're complete. Uh, that, that should, we should, this is a new year. We should have a little more emotion in the room. God's promises are complete. Amen. Amen. It means they're done. It means that um, they, are, uh, they are in a true form. They're not to be added to. We have, it, Peter says it this way. We have, he uses this word precious twice. He says in verse one, if you're noticing, he says, our faith is, he says, is as precious as his. 
It's the same faith. And then in verse 4, he says it this way. He almost writes it like a schoolboy. He says, we have very great and precious promises. And it's almost like all these superlatives. I thought that would be funnier. We, we would have these very great and these very precious promises. And it's sort of interesting that precious is not a word that we often hear today, and it's used to denote something of great monetary value or great emotional value. And here's what he wants us to know. God's promises are complete. I almost want to stop right there and go, let's just stand. That's all we need to know. But I got 15 minutes, so no. <laughs> Isn't that a great thing to know that, though? They're complete. They're just, they're complete. Uh, Paul was writing around the same thing one time. I want to show you this verse in 2 Corinthians, I think, chapter 1. Notice what Paul says. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. This is where we get the idea of saying amen. You don't, you don't really say that a lot in our... We didn't set that up either, did we, Pat? No, we did not. Here, here's the thing I want to say. This is why we say this in church. You know what amen means? I agree. Yes, so be it, Lord. So be it. And so Paul is writing, he says, no matter how many promises of God that God has made, here's what they are in Jesus. All of them are yes in Christ, like done. And so this is what's beautiful to me uh, about this. And Paul says this, and here's what, when we go back, switch back over to Peter, here's what we need to understand. Peter here is talking about Jesus, and he's talking about the knowledge that we have of the one who calls us by his own glory and goodness. Now, some, some scholars say it this way. When he's talking about glory and goodness, here's what he's talking about. He's talking about the divinity of Christ, and he's talking about the humanity of Christ. And here's the thing I want you to know. Peter saw both of them. Peter saw them both. Peter was with Jesus when Jesus did all these miracles. Kathy said the other day in our teaching team, Peter, Peter was one of the ones that Jesus took up on the Mount of Transfiguration and was transfigured into his glorious state. Peter saw that, but then he saw Jesus' humanity. He saw his willingness to sully his own reputation by hanging out with people that were not the normal church crowd because he lived with a dream that they could actually be the church in other words, we got invited to the party. You ever felt like, you know, there's a party going on you didn't get invited to? And Jesus says, we can be in on the party. And so he's talking about the glory and the divinity of Christ, and he uses this word precious. Now, here's what the thing to me that I think about. When we have precious things in our culture, you know what we often do? We put them on a shelf and we make them untouchable right? Uh, Beth and I, we, you know, we set up the house for Christmas. We got through with all of, we, we take it down, you know, like in our house, let me just say like the rule. We don't listen to Christmas music anytime before Thanksgiving. We don't set up before Thanksgiving. Actually, I think it's sinful to do that, but we don't, we don't do that. So then we have Christmas. And then when Christmas is over, Hey, everybody, Christmas is over. Now that might be because I preached 9,000 times in December. That might have something to do with it. But anyhow, so we take it down. So we're taking all this stuff down, and Beth is putting the china back in what? The china cabinet. See, right? 
And she came, into, she came into the kitchen the other day, and she's holding a plate, and she said, look at this. It's the china. <laughs> and she says, I have a rule that I want to do this year. She said, I, I want to eat off this like once a month. Because until then, it's like been in a cabinet. We bought a cabinet for it. So, so Beth can point it out to me, but she's never let me touch it before. Everybody know what I'm talking about, men? Right? We'll go into stores and Beth will go, wait out here. I'll be back in a minute. You stay out here. This is kind of what happens. We set precious stuff in cabinets and we don't touch it. Here's what I want you to know. This is not what Peter is saying we should do. He's saying God's promises are complete. But, but notice what he says. Our faith is incomplete. Do you notice that? I, I want to draw your attention to it because you could almost miss this. You could almost drive by the language. And I was sharing this the other day in our teaching team that I, it's interesting how, how Peter is saying this. God, look at the way he's doing this. God's given us everything we need to grow in our faith. We have it. Everything we need. And then you read down a couple of verses, and what is he saying? He's saying, hey, you need to add to your faith this. And I was looking at that about a month back, and I went, wait a minute. We have everything we need. we got to add stuff? That's confusing to me. It's confusing until you understand he's saying God's promises are complete. Your faith is incomplete. And so there's a gap. And what we have to do is we have to fill the gap in and the way we fill the gap in is just beautiful. Paul said, or Peter says it this way, we learn to participate in the divine nature. God, listen to this. This is so beautiful. God wants you to participate in seeing his divine nature grow in your personality and in your humanity. Think with me about that. It's like, it's, it's like this great, big, glorious, eternal team. And he's saying, um, I choose Susie and Bill, and I choose Fred, and I choose Beth. and I, We get to participate. It's almost like Paul, uh, Peter is saying this. What he wants to do, this dynamic, is that um, he wants us to rub our faith all over us till it just sticks on us everywhere. Uh, you've heard me use this phrase before. I think it was Soren Kierkegaard who says this, now with God's help, I shall become myself. I shall become the person I am created to be. And we don't do it just um, at the beginning, we continue. I, I, I was thinking through this because here's what I often see in church happens, and this can be a little challenging, and I want to ask us to be different this year. What usually happens is we are initially moved by a vision of Jesus and overwhelmed by the hope and the beauty and the promise, and we say yes to it. And for, there, for a time, there is what we would describe as something like a spiritual honeymoon, and we're filled with a love for God, and we're drawn to the Scriptures, and we love to worship, and even certain things begin to change in our lives. But over time, a sense of progress stalls out, and instead of life flowing with rivers of living waters, one author says, we begin to yell at the people we love, we worry too much about money in our jobs, we grow jealous of other people, we use deception to get out of trouble or get what we want, and we pass judgment too easily on people, too casually and too uh, arrogantly. 
And this is not the life God intends for us. There's something deeper. And so we have to participate in it. I remember reading about a dad who was taking his little son into the grocery store and, and his son was pitching a fit. Parents, you remember those days? And, you know, usually happened for us in our home down the cereal aisle is usually where the fit happened. And we were just pitching a fit. And, and this woman who's shopping walks by and she overhears the dad uh, saying, uh, Brian, it's okay. Brian, it's all right. You're doing great. Brian, it's going to be okay. We're gonna, we won't be in here long. You're going to be fine. And so the, the, the lady was just so warmed by that. She went up to him, the dad and she said, I just need to commend you. She said, I, that's a tremendous example of parenting. I'm so, it's, it just moves me that you would be saying that to little Brian. And the dad goes, uh, that my son's name is Patrick. I'm Brian. <laughs> I'm reminding myself. Right? Here's what Peter's saying. We get to remind ourselves. And can I just say this before I close? There's a lot to remember. Uh, Peter writes it. You know, he says, um, make every effort. Take every opportunity. Don't miss your moment to add to your faith goodness. Let's have a conversation about what it means to reflect goodness in our lives. Do you think that's eroding in our culture, by the way? What about knowledge? Not knowledge that puffs up, but the kind of knowledge that grows our interior. Anybody want to have some of that? What about, what about self-control? Anybody, anybody use, could use some self-control? Perseverance, godliness, mutual affection and love. My hope is in this series, we're going to just immerse ourselves in a conversation, just rub it all over us. So we go out in the world, they see it. And they begin to go, I don't, I don't know. Something different there. What happened to Bill? He's different. What happened to Sue? She not, she's not like she used to be. It can happen. One of the ways we do it is just a closer walk with Jesus, which is always what we think about in communion. It's a moment to be reminded of all that God has offered to us. Scripture says that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And there comes this powerful moment when he gives it to his disciples and he says, uh, hey, fellas, I want you to eat this bread. And I want it to be from this moment for just a reminder. He's really saying to them, every time from this moment forward. Whenever you do the Passover, right, you remember, you remember that I'm going to give myself for you. Imagine sitting at that table. They didn't really know any, what he was talking about. And a few moments later, Bible says he took juice and or wine and he gave thanks to the Father and 
you know, he turned to the disciples and he said, now I'm going to give the cup to you and I want you to drink from this cup. And I want you to remember every time you drink from the cup that I'm, this cup represents my blood I'm in a shed for you. I, I imagine they were sitting there going, what is he saying? And then he went on to describe and he said, actually what I'm doing, I'm causing a revolution to break out even right now. You're at the beginning of a revolution. And, and, and we're not going to have this hierarchical, Levitical system of sacrifice. Jesus said, hey, I'm just going to be the sacrifice. It's me. And so Paul comes along later as a follower now of Jesus, and he says, every now and again, followers of Jesus, drink bre- or eat bread, drink juice, drink wine. Remember. Remember that he's gone before you. His promises are complete. And if you lean into him, he will make your faith complete too. And so this is that moment. And Paul said, whenever we participate in a moment like this, we should take a moment first and prepare our heart so that we don't eat in an unworthy manner. And at Community of Hope, we practice what is called an open communion table. Everybody is invited if you've said yes to Jesus and you've said Lord I, I need your life living through me I need you to forgive my sin I'm, I'm not going to strive this is a moment where we're saying I'm not going to strive to be a better person I'm going to let your spirit grow fruit in me that lasts you're invited and so in a few moments we're going to have our team they're going to taxi into position we'll have a gluten free station back there and you'll be given an opportunity to receive by intention, take a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup, receive it to yourself, and remember his promises are complete. Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you meet us here in this wonderful space? Would you come and say new things to us about our lives? God, I sense right now in my spirit, some are here and we're weary of trying. And we feel, Lord, there might even be a few here who who feel, I don't know how to say it, outside of your love. They feel like they've messed up so many times that they've disqualified themselves. Would you remind all of us in this room, God, that your grace is available to all every time we come. And, and we're honest and we say, Lord, I need your help. I need your forgiveness. I need your lordship. I need you to forgive my sins and be my Lord that every time we do that, you show up every time. So use this space as we begin to start this year on a different foot and in a different place. For we pray together in the name of Jesus and everyone said, amen. Now to my right, your left, would you come as you feel led? know, Lord, that is such a great prayer, well beyond it being just a song, Lord, it's just true. Even in those spaces, I believe, Lord, where, where it would seem like your spirit or your face has been hidden from us, when we've gone through difficulties or circumstances or journeys that would seem to say to us, you're not there, God, your word would say you are. And so, Jesus, this year, would you give us greater clarity that, Lord, you know, to serve you, to follow you doesn't mean the absence of difficulty, but it does mean a presence in the midst of the storm. 
And some of us even right now need to hear that. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that your promises are true. Use these next few weeks to grow our faith so that we shrink the gap between our faith and your promise. This we pray in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Go in his grace. We'll see you next weekend.